0: Well done, everybody. Thank you. Appreciate that very, very much. Uh, we've uh, gotten a lot of great reports of people loving like Jesus. Got your wristband on still? Uh, some of you, I know, it's starting to wear out a bit, isn't it? Uh, but that's okay. Uh, we also have the box up here, and uh, if you uh, spot somebody loving like Jesus, we've got a little sheet. You can even come up here after the service. And say, hey, I, re- I saw somebody. Love and like Jesus, and uh, put it in the box up here. That would be marvelous. Uh, let me give you a few reports. There's a couple, uh, this is home, and they never met Margaret Dudek. They didn't know Margaret, but everyone's talking about this Margaret lady who got hit by a car down in Puerto Rico. And uh, they were uh, so inspired that they were down near Ann Arbor, even though they'd never met her. They went and saw her. Uh, took her a gift, and then they went and saw her again the next day. So that's pretty cool. Someone who didn't even know Margaret, uh, and they let her know they were praying for her, and I just want to say, well done, uh, husband and wife. Thanks for loving like Jesus. Uh, report of somebody taxing uh, someone who had no car, no job, and they needed to get to Traverse City, and they willingly gave up their morning, and they gave up four or five hours of their time to help out somebody who was in great need. So, uh, well done, Transporter. Thanks for loving like Jesus. We appreciate you, uh, you doing that. Uh, someone put in uh, the red box here. Uh, there was someone in the church family on a very cold Michigan morning, and they uh, had great need for a, a very nice heater, and someone here loaned their heater to them, and they just wanted to say, that was Loving me like Jesus. Thank you, uh, brother, for loving me like Jesus. So thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. That's loving like Jesus. Uh, Another report of a church family member who uh, was struggling with their hearing. Matter of fact, they couldn't even be in service. The uh, noise was making them uh, crazy. So someone in the church body heard about that, went and listened to this person. They did some research. They went to an audiologist. Think about this. Uh, they explained the problem, and then they went and had something made specifically for this person. And now they're back in church and able to enjoy the church family. So, uh, again, what a great report. Thanks for loving like Jesus. And the final report today is from Pastor Brant. Pastor Brant uh, shared that uh, he's got lots of junior high students fired up to bring their friends to youth group Not just for the snacks, not just for the games, but specifically these junior high students are fired up to bring their fellow junior high students to hear about Jesus. That's pretty cool. And just uh, recently, six of those students that they brought said yes to Jesus by faith for the very first time. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Would you not agree that that's loving like Jesus? So again... We need your help because I've discovered this is contagious. You know, you start hearing, you start seeing. There's lots of it around us, but uh, as you see it and you identify it and we're loving in the love and the name and the power of Jesus and his spirit, uh, powerful things happen. So keep up the good work, y'all. And you be uh, those uh, secret uh, agent Christians watching and uh, spying for me, okay? So get that on uh, the lljwalloon at gmail.com. You can send that in or put a slip in the red box. We're going to talk today about uh, the age we live in. And I would argue today we are living in the age of distraction. Think about it. We live in a day where our attention spans are like really, really short. And it's like constantly we need something else to focus on, and uh, certainly uh, our focus gets pulled away quickly on the issues that oftentimes really matter the most. A uh, recent study found that on average, a person checks his email, how many times do you think, on average, 15 times a day, on average. So if you're thinking, well, I only, I only check my email six that means somebody's probably checking their email 25, 30 times a day to make up for you, you slacker. Uh, how many of you have a smartphone? Can I, can I see your hands? How many of you have it with you? You can hold it up. Yeah, I want, want to tell you a little bit about uh, smartphones. Any, any guesses how often we're checking our phones on average? 46 times a day. 46 times a day. That's average. And I won't talk to you, but, but the younger you are, the more often you're checking your phone. It's, it's up in the 70 times uh, a day uh, if you're under 25. Isn't that interesting? Uh, it, it's amazing, and that's up from three years ago. The average was 33 times we were looking at our phones. Now it's up to 46. Um, that doesn't even factor in the amount of time we spend on the Book of Faces on uh, Instagram, snapping our chats, Twittering, playing games, sending texts. I I had a parent uh, ask me after they got the bill because they had the old plan where you had to pay for each text. And they said, is it normal for a teen to send 6,000 texts in a month? I said, that sounds pretty high. And then you do the math, that's 200 a day. That's, that's 200 texts a day. Think about it. If someone forced you, Glenn, to do 2 you, you'd think they, you were in jail. I have to do 200 texts a day? Oh, you're making me a slave. Anyway, uh, I, I would argue that we're living today in an unprecedented day for distraction. But I want you to understand it's really not a new problem. Being distracted is not a new temptation. Matter of fact, way back in the old section of God's Word, there was distractions that the Jews, they went back to Jerusalem, they'd been in exile, and now they're living back in Jerusalem, and they too had to fight distraction. They had to pay attention, otherwise they were going to focus on the less important things and not the main things. If you have your Bible, turn with me. We're going to go to the book of Nehemiah today. We're going to try to cover uh, the gist of at least the first six chapters of Nehemiah. That's to the left of Psalms. You got Psalms, find the book of Job, then Esther, then Nehemiah. Okay? So that's where we're at. Quick summary Uh, Saul, David, Solomon, first kings of Israel. Kingdom is then divided. Uh, North is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Steady, downhill sinfulness. Disobedience to Jehovah God and his book. So the Lord sends a series of spokesmen to talk to his chosen people. What are those spokesmen called? Anybody know? They're called prophets. God's spokesmen. He challenges his chosen people, hey, turn back, repent, do it God's way. He sends Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Habakkuk, uh, a dozen more. Turn, repent, or there's going to be consequences. And they continue in their rebellion, and they continue worshiping pagan gods. Give me your eyes. 722 B.C., the Lord allows the Assyrians to come in and utterly destroy the 10 northern tribes. Literally, God's chosen tribes up there in the north, the 10, they're wiped out. The Assyrians take captive and their biggest uh, strategy was to intermarry. We'll have the Assyrian men marry the pretty young uh, northern Israeli women and now they will be a mixed race. And that's where the Samaritans come from in the New Testament. Uh, About 150 years later, the uh, southern two tribes, they don't learn anything. And they too are judged. And they are judged by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And uh, what they do is they take the best and the brightest, people like Daniel, and we're going to rip you out of Jerusalem. We're going to take you to Babylon and you're going to be our slaves. There in Babylon. Seventy years later, keep tracking with me, the Persians conquer the Babylonians. And Jehovah God softens the king of Persia's heart. His name is Cyrus. And he says, you know what? Some of you can go back to Jerusalem. And 50,000 Jews return to Jerusalem under the leadership of Of Zerubbabel, you want to say that with me? It's kind of fun. Zerubbabel, yeah, you can you can kind of just let it flow a little bit, okay? Uh, 60 years after Zerubbabel returns, the first wave, the next wave is allowed to return under the leadership of a guy named Ezra, and Ezra comes back and he returns to Jerusalem. Anybody remember what was his focus? What was his mission? Rebuild the what? Rebuild the temple. The temple was in shambles. The Babylonians had literally, there wasn't one block set on another block. Just totally wiped it out. Come back and rebuild the temple. And now, 13 years after Ezra returned to rebuild the temple, begins the book that we call Nehemiah. Would you stand with me if you're able? And we're going to read out loud together couple words I want to give you a little little heads up on, okay? Uh, it's, the first one is uh, a basketball term, Hekaliah. So uh, if you've ever been in, anyway, you'll understand if you're a basketball player. Uh, in the month of Kislev, that's uh, uh, down there a little bit, uh, Hananiah, he had a, a show on the Fox Network uh, back then in that time, and I think that's all the, the help you need, okay? So ready to go? Let's read verses 1 to 4 together. Ready? Here we go. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, I believe that uh, you've inspired these words to get written down for us. Lord, I also believe that you've preserved these words and they're quick and they're powerful and they're sharp and they're able to go down deep to the deepest recesses of our hearts and our minds. So, Lord, we invite you to take your book today and do just that. As we study about Nehemiah and what you called him to do, Lord, help us to hear clearly from you. We pause for just a moment, Lord, and uh, Lord, if there's sin that we've not dealt with, if there's issues uh, concerning what's going on this last week that we haven't yet brought to the cross, Lord, would you bring those things to mind right now? If there's words that we've said that were... uh, wrong in what you call sin, would you make those clear and obvious? If there's attitudes that we've displayed that you would call sin, would you point that out? If there's uh, things we've looked at with jealous and envious eyes, Lord, would you make that clear? If there's things we've gazed at with lust, would you point that out? We praise you, Lord, that when we say yes to your Son, Jesus, by faith, you mark our accounts paid in full. Completely. Past, present, future, by the shed blood of the Lamb. Lord, wow. What a payment you made. And Now, Lord, as you make things clear that you call sin, we want to draw on that account, we want to write the check of confession. You call it sin, we're going to call it the same thing. And what you're making clear right now, we're going to call sin. And we're going to ask that as we call it sin, you might wash and cleanse and purify us. We want to get back in right relationship with your Son Jesus, and uh, Lord, the way we do that is to get clean. So as you point things out, we're we're ready to respond. Wash. Plans purify us, Lord. We want to be ready to do business with you today in your church. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said, with one unified voice, "You can be seated. Ready to fly? Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to go fast. Nehemiah's brother returns from Jerusalem. It's not a good report. It's dismal. Life in Jerusalem, he says, is awful. The remaining exiles in Jerusalem, they're in great trouble, it says. They're living in disgrace. Key trouble right now, he says, the wall that protected the city from trouble is still broken down. Matter of fact, the gates have been burned to ashes. And you'll notice, verse 4, Nehemiah sits down and weeps and mourns and fasts. You wouldn't know this, but he fasts and he mourns for four months. Four months. He just hears the bad report and he just cries out to the Lord. He weeps, he cries, he fasts for four months. He didn't just do something, he waited for the Lord to show him what to do and the right timing for him to do it with. Some of you need to hear that, because you've gotten a bad report recently. Some bad stuff has happened, and now you're ready to act. And I would say to you, if you've gotten a bad report, don't just do something, wait and listen and wait for the Lord to make himself clear. I don't know about you, but far too often I run, Uh, there's a bad report, got to do something, and we run and we do something, when really what the Lord is saying, just wait, and I'll show you what to do, and I'll show you the right timing to do it. Nehemiah chapter 2, King Artaxerxes, he's the king of Persia, he's the most powerful man in the world at this time. Um, he notices, chapter 2 and verse 1, that his cupbearer, the one who tasted all of his food, wouldn't that be a great job, by the way? <sighs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll try that prime rib. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, his job was to taste all the food so that if there was poison there, someone was trying to harm the king, uh, it would kill Nehemiah first. Uh, Verse 1, it seems that for the very first time ever in his role as cupbearer, he wasn't smiling. He wasn't upbeat. He wasn't cheery. You you talk about pressure. Every day, it it seems as though the king had ordered everybody to be in a good mood. You know, put the smiley face on. Uh, You're with the king now. But he asks. the king asks asks, what's wrong, Nehemiah? Why are you so sad? Verse 2 says this, he's afraid. And again, he knows the rule, no frowns, no sadness, uh, no no downers here with the king. Uh, It seems as though you were in trouble if you were sad in front of the king. But now, verse 2, he's afraid to speak up, but he speaks up even though he's afraid. He's afraid, but he acts anyway. And sometimes we think, well, I'm afraid. So therefore, I can't act. Can can I just tell you something? You ready? Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing it afraid. You might want to write that down, some of you, if that's your struggle, okay? It's not that fear is no longer a part of my life, but Nehemiah shows us uh, Courage is, yeah, I'm afraid, but I do it anyway. I act anyway, despite the fearful feeling. And he tells the king about Jerusalem. He tells the king about his family and his friends who are struggling in Jerusalem. And I like this. Look at verse 4. He's already been praying for four months and fasting. But now the big time has come. The Lord has given him the op- opening. And look what he does. Verse 4, it says he prays. So it's like, here we go, oh Lord, help. You know what that's called? It's like an arrow prayer. So I've been praying, and and, and Lord, now's the time. So he fires up an arrow prayer, oh Lord, help me, here we, and he goes for it. Verse 4, chapter 2, he asks the king for permission, I want to go back home, and I want to go and help them rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. And oh, by the way, would you fund all that, king? please, been eating your food all these years, you know. Uh, And in chapter 2, in verse 8, the Lord graciously softens Artaxerxes' heart, and he says, go. Go. You can go. Yeah. You can do it just like you said. And in verses 11 to 20, Nehemiah takes off. He arrives in Jerusalem, and I like this. And when he arrives in Jerusalem, he doesn't just go to work, but he waits three days. I think he needed to rest up. And it says, not only did he need to rest and get his bearings, but he wanted to go and scope out the situation for himself. He he'd already heard from his brother, but now he wants to go see it firsthand. He wants to see it with his own eyes. And that seems like such great wisdom. Nehemiah chapter 3. The children of Jehovah are excited. Somebody who knows somebody has come and they're here to help us and they get busy under Nehemiah's leadership. Perfumers and goldsmiths and soldiers and priests, they all pitch in and they build the first half of the wall in record time. So the first half goes up and it's like, wow, look what's happening here. Nehemiah chapter 4. Anytime you're doing God's work, you can expect opposition. If you're taking notes, that'd be worth writing down, don't you think? Anytime you're doing God's work, plan on attack. Plan on fiery darts. Plan on the fact that if you're doing God's work, the enemy and those that he has under his control are not going to be happy. You can can write it down. There's going to be attack If you're doing God's work. So some officials from the surrounding area, Nehemiah chapter 4, Sanballat and Tobiah make it their mission to discourage and ridicule the workers that were building the wall around Jerusalem. That's their mission. We want to discourage you. We want to make fun of you. Ah, If a little squirrel ran up your wall, it would knock you down. Who do you think you are? You're you're awful, wall builders. And they laugh and they ridicule and they make fun. And when that doesn't work, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, they threaten, we're going to attack you. We're going to kill you while you're working on the wall. So it gets a little more serious. Uh, And I love verse 17, one of the more well-known verses of chapter 4. It says, those who carried materials did their work With one hand held a weapon, and in the other hand held the trowel. Isn't that a good picture? So I got the sword, so if you're going to come and try to kill me, I'm going to defend myself. But at all the same time, I'm going to keep on working to rebuild the wall. So, not going to stop. Not going to quit. They were fighting for the Lord, and they were fighting for their families, verse 14. Another good verse. Nehemiah chapter Five. The work comes to a halt. <laughs> they were going really well, but now suddenly the work grinds to a halt, and it was not an attack from the outside that caused them to quit working. This is interesting. But it was an attack from the inside that caused the work to come to an immediate screeching stop. Three issues here, chapter 5, slide down to verse 2. They weren't sharing their food. Some of the workers were hungry. They were working hungry, and now they've been working for weeks hungry, and suddenly now they realize we don't have any food. There's nothing in the cupboard. Some of the workers, they had plenty of food, but they weren't sharing with those who were in great need. Second issue, verse 4. they were overwhelmed by the taxes they had to pay. Can I get an amen? Uh, and verse 5, this, this is the third issue. Um, some of them said, well, I'll loan you money so that you can buy food. I'll loan you money so that you can pay your taxes. So here's the money. Now give me the deed to your land. Okay, and then they still need more money. Okay, now sell, sell your children into slavery, and they'll be my slaves. So they were having to sell their children into slavery in order to eat and pay their taxes. You understand the issue? So so now the workers are all upset with one another. Uh, Nehemiah steps up. He's a a strong leader, and I love this. And uh, verse 6, he he says to those who are... uh, stealing land from their brothers and sisters who are literally enslaving their children. He says, you ready? This is great. Stop it. Just stop it. What are you doing? This is sin. What you're doing is greedy and it's sin. And he calls them, verses 7 to 12, chapter 5, repent, make it right, stop doing this greedy sinfulness to your brothers and sisters. Knock it off. Um, And then I like what Nehemiah does. Look at verses 15 to 18, chapter 5, if you have your Bible. Nehemiah doesn't just talk, he acts. And he gives of his food and his silver to take care of the situation. He wants the walls to be rebuilt, so Nehemiah jumps in and he gives of his riches and his food source so that His brothers and sisters can be taken care of. Peace and unity is restored amongst the wall builders. Nehemiah chapter 6. The wall is almost complete. Only thing left is to hang the doors. Only thing left, they got the big gates, but these are doors where people could walk through. There was still a hole there, they had yet to hang the doors. Okay, so you're tracking. That's what's going on. Only thing left is to hang the doors. Do you suppose the enemy is going to leave them alone now? One last line of attack. Chapter six. Follow along with me. I want to. I want you to see verses one to four. Got it up here on the screen. If you don't have your Bible, when word came to Sanbalat, Tobiah, uh, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had yet to set the doors and the gates, verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, O Nehemiah, come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Seems like that was a lush vacation sort of an area. Why don't you come down and we'll have a really nice picnic and we'll barbecue and it's going to be amazing. So why don't you come down and we'll have this amazing time. You've been working 18, 20-hour days. You've been working for six weeks. It's almost done. Nehemiah, why don't you come take a break? Take a little three-day holiday. Take a day. It's about 20 miles away. Take a day to come down. Uh, then we 'll spend a day relaxing and enjoying each other, and then uh, obviously you 'll need a third day to get back. Uh, it says, "But they were scheming to harm me. You might knew they didn 't really want to have a holiday. Uh, th- this is a plan so verse three, I sent messengers to them with this reply, and I love the reply. Um, I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? In case you didn't catch that, I want to read that to you again, verse 3. Uh, I'm carrying on a great project. Sorry, I can't come down. Why should this work stop while I leave it and go down to you? <laughs> and, and obviously, um, they didn't like his answer because look at verse 4. Uh, It says, four times they sent me the same message. Nehemiah, come on down. Come to Ono. Let's talk. Nehemiah, we're going to have a great time. We're going to have this amazing picnic and barbecue. Come on down. Four times. And he gives them the same answer every time. What was the same answer? I'm sorry, but I'm carrying on a great project. I cannot go down Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Give me your eyes. It was Nehemiah's resolve. I will not be stopped. I will not be distracted. I will not allow my focus to go off the main thing. And the main thing for Nehemiah was what? Finish the wall. Finish the wall. Lord, you've called me to this great work. And I'm going to finish what you've called me to do. And here's, here's the amazing thing. The wall was rebuilt in 52 days. Isn't that something? 52 days. And slide down to verse 16, chapter 6. Here's what it says. And all the surrounding nations were afraid, and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Uh Uh-oh, Jehovah's in this. Jehovah was a part of this and now the surrounding nations that were so trying to stop the work, suddenly now they're afraid because Jehovah God had helped them rebuild the wall. So I have a question. Ready? Look me in the eye. I'm looking at your balcony. Okay? What is the great work that Jesus has called you to do at this time in your life and and I say great work because if it's the work that Jesus has called you to do that's a great work it's not that we're so great tracking with me but it's a great work because it's the work that Jesus calls us to do and I believe if your heart is beating you want to check it right now yeah? If you got a pulse, yeah? If, if, if you're breathing and sucking oxygen right now, I believe that Jesus still has a great work for you to do. Do you know what that great work that He's calling you to do is all about? Have you thought that one through? What is it that Jesus is calling me to do? What, what is that great work? that the Lord has for me. And if you're a student here, that great work very well may be for you to finish school. And to do it as you shine Jesus bright, as you reflect and live strong for Jesus, as you complete high school, as you complete college, that very well may be the great work that he's calling you to do right now. Do it with all you got. Do it as unto the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe some of you here, the great work you're called to is to raise and train your children. And he's called you to that great work. And he's saying, don't be distracted. Don't let anything get you off what I'm called. I want you to live and teach Jesus to the children living under your roof. Or maybe grandparents, your great work is to live and train and live Jesus in front of your grandchildren. And that's the great work that he's called you to do. Uh, many of you are called to be Jesus-loving workers. Some of you are called to be Jesus-loving bosses and owners. Uh, some of you, I, I'm a Jesus-loving carpenter, and, and I live for Jesus as an electrician or a technician or a nurse Or a businessman. And my job is to live Jesus and reflect him to the employees and to the customers that the Lord brings our way. And I would argue you have have a great work regarding his church. And Lord, what is my role in the church that is your plan to reach and change the world? What's my role in the church that you're calling me to. And if you're a follower of Jesus and this is your home church, can I tell you? Give me your eyes. you got a part of the body. You have a role. You have a gift. Lord, what is my role? What is is my gift? Now, now don't miss this. Uh, Here's what I know. Jesus, you have a great work for me to do. You have called me to something And and if you don't know what your great work that Jesus is calling you to do, give me your eyes. Then you need to spend the next week, the next month, the next year, if necessary, saying, Lord, would you show me? Would you make it clear? Because sometimes we don't think like this. And we're busy and we're distracted and we never stop to think through what is that great work that Jesus is calling me to do. It's a great work. It's your work, Lord. I need to know what it is first, right? And then once I know what that great work of yours is, i got to fight and battle to keep it the main thing because there's lots of distractions. Let me share you. Um, I just went through this myself, uh, and I had to... And can I just say, a lot of times what the Lord is calling you to, different seasons of your life, it changes, Here's what I believe Jesus is called Jeff to. Uh, Jeff, only you can love your wife Denise as her husband. Okay? And, and those of you who are married, can I see your hands? You can't delegate this one, right? No. You, only you can show up and love your wife. Only you can show up and respect your husband. So that, that's first. Only you, Jeff, can support your adult children as their father. Jeff, only you can be the papa to your grandchildren. I can't come down now. I got this great work, Lord, that you're calling me to, to take care of my family. That's first. Secondly, as the senior pastor here at Walloon, um, Jeff, it's your job to show up on Sunday mornings prayed up, studied up, and ready to share from my book. And I want every Sunday, I want you to have done your homework. I want you to have spent time on your knees. I want you to listen to me, and I want you to show up ready to go on Sunday mornings. I can't delegate that one. Jody, could you speak for me this Sunday? Uh, Jody will say, no, <laughs> rightly so, because that's not the great work that she's called to. Uh, only you, Jeff, can lead the staff. Only you are called to lead the elders and the deacons that are called to be the leadership in your church. You're called to lead the leaders here. And then lead and focus the mission and the target that Jesus has called for his church. Sorry, I can't come down. I can't stop. I'm busy doing the work, Jesus, that you've called me to do. And I know that the college called and they want you to teach a class over at the college. Wow, that sounds kind of interesting, doesn't it? And I got to say, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm doing Jesus' work right now and I can't come down. I can't leave God's work. Well, Well, we've got this hour of radio time that we'd like you to come and fill up for us. I'm sorry, I can't come down right now. I've got this work that Jesus has called me to do and I can't leave what God's called me to do, the main thing. Well, we'd really like you to come and take a board position on this mission board and and, and on this nonprofit thing. And I say, what do you think I'm going to say? I'm sorry, but I I can't come down right now. I've got this work that Jesus has called me to and, and I can't leave right now. You always got to be saying, does this line up with the work that Jesus has called you to? What's the great work? And once you know it, then you can just keep asking, is this a part of what Jesus has called you to do? And if it's not, I'm sorry, but I I can't come down right now. I, I can't do that. I can't leave and come down. I say that kind of stuff to myself all the time. I might argue that that's healthy for you to preach to yourself, because you, you say, well, you preach here on Sunday mornings, but all week long, guess who I'm preaching to? Sometimes Denise, but mostly, mostly, mostly it's me. Mostly, i got to preach to me, and i got to speak truth to me, and I've discovered it's healthy for me to say it out loud, because then I remember it, and, and I say, I'm doing a good work for Jesus, I can't leave and come down. But you say it with me? I'm doing a good work for Jesus... I can't leave and come down now. We'll try it again, okay? I'm doing a good work for Jesus. I can't leave and come down now. See, I'm going to keep the main thing, the main thing. The good distractions, the good opportunities, give me your eyes, are the enemies of the best. The good stuff is the enemy of the best of the key things that Jesus has called you to do. Stay focused, stay on task, stay on the wall church, <laughs> stay on the wall. Don't allow the good distractions to keep you from the best work that Jesus has for you. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 12:1, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Everything that hinders, anything that's not a part of the main thing, what am I supposed to do? Throw it off. Why? Because I want to run with perseverance the race that Jesus has marked out for us, for me. Two questions and we're finished. Do you know clearly the great work that Jesus has called you to? Do you know what the great work is that Jesus specifically right now, at this time in your life, has called you to do? Second question. Are you willing to make it the main thing? Once you know it, are you willing to say, okay, this is my focus, this is my priority, this is my passion, and I'm not going to let the distractions pull me one way or the other. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes. Lord, we do live in a busy, distracting world. Can we just acknowledge that? And I suspect some of my friends right here in the church family, um, the truth is, they're busy, they're running, it's, it's a crazy time, and some have never even stopped to think what the great work that you're calling them to is. So if that's true, Lord, would you make it clear and obvious? Begin, begin speaking, but Lord, if it takes a day or a week or a month or a year... Help us to tune in to you. Make yourself clear. Help us to find the main thing, the main work that you're calling us to as your children. Lord, would you help us to resolve today once we know what that great work you're calling us to is would you help us to make it the main thing to not come down not to leave not to be distracted but to stay on task thank you for the book of Nehemiah thanks for the reminders Help us, Lord, to be busy about doing your work. I think the time is short. It's in the awesome name of our King Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. We have the privilege.